0: All right. Let's take our Bible to the Book of James. We're going to look at a passage here in James chapter number four, in uh, verse thirteen down through verse number seventeen. James chapter number four. And we know James is a very uh, practical book, one with uh, very the majority of it is is applicational to the Christian life and uh, living it out. And uh, the title of the message for this text is going to be "Who Holds Tomorrow? Who Holds Tomorrow?" and Verse 13 through 17 reveals some great principle for us as Christians uh, in understanding our days, our life, uh, God's providence, and uh, I want to bring some things out of this text that I think would be a good encouragement uh, and reminder to us this evening. So James chapter 4, we'll begin there in verse number 13, and we'll come down through verse 17. Notice James says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there For him, it is sin. We think about that question: Who holds tomorrow? We're uh, pretty familiar with what the answer is to that, right? Uh, We know that God holds tomorrow. We sing a beloved song. I know who holds tomorrow. One of the uh, wonderful choruses in that hymn: Many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand, but I know who holds tomorrow, and I know who holds my hand. That's a beautiful song that uh, we, as we Christians, sing. And so we, we all know that God's the eternal sovereign and is in control of all things. We looked at that last week, even down to the very days of our life. And so we believe that He is God and that tomorrow, even though we're not there yet, He's already there, right? And, and so there's nothing about our future that's uncertain to Him. But sometimes I think that this is a principle we need reminded of, that we Christians, we sometimes live as if we control tomorrow. We live as if uh, tomorrow's already set. Like we've made our plans and we're just going to, it's going to go exactly as we've planned it. And this is the problem that James is addressing for these in his audience. He begins talking to some people who are making plans without God in their mind. And that's the key issue that he brings to their attention. They think that what they have planned will surely come to pass. And James has to correct that kind of thinking in this passage of Scripture. Because what, what that boils down to is when we think that way or we plan that way, it gives the, uh, I guess, impression that we're the ones that are in charge. And Christians here are to have the conviction and really the principle, whether in their conversation or at least in their heart and mind, if the Lord wills, this or that may come to pass. Because that's what it boils down to, right? God's providence and His will in our life. I was reading this, this story, I don't like to use, usually do a bunch of stories, but I thought this one was fitting and somewhat humorous, and it's about a preacher who was on his way to buy a new hunting rifle, and he ran into a friend, and his friend asked him, where are you headed, preacher? And he said, I'm going right now to buy a new hunting rifle. And the friend responded said, don't you mean if the Lord wills, you're going to go buy this hunting rifle? Well, the preacher responded somewhat boastfully, said, no, I'm buying that rifle. I've already made my mind up. I've got the money in my pocket right now. And as the preacher headed towards the gun store, a robber met him on the way and beat him up and took all his money. Well, the preacher leaving that scene, he was going back home and he ran into that same friend who asked, where are you headed now? And the preacher said, Lord willing, I'm going home. Uh, So he, he learned his lesson there. But we we think about ourselves this evening. Are there times in our life where we have maybe tried to plan without God, or maybe got ahead of God in our thinking? Do we sometimes leave Him out of our days? We just go about and uh, don't think too much about what His will is, or being sensitive to His providence in our daily life. So the reality is, we don't know who holds tomorrow, but we we don't hold tomorrow, but God does hold tomorrow. That's what we know. And so here's what James points out to us: three three overall points I want to bring you out of this text that uh, that he brings out uh, for this audience that he's been writing to. But notice, number one, we see there's a rebuke against self sufficiency. There's a rebuke against self sufficiency, and this self sufficiency is seen in how they're going about making their plans. the 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 key problem here is the pride in their making their plans, and the lack of being attentive to God's providence. So you notice that their planning here, it was absolute in their thinking. In verse 3, James says, come now, which is an odd phrase. We don't really use that a whole lot. He says it twice within this this book. He'll say it again in chapter 5 and verse 1. But when he says, come now, he wants his listeners to pay close attention. That's that's what he's trying to get at, is to get their attention. Come now, listen in uh, to what he's about to say. Now, who is he talking to? Well, notice he says, come now, you who say. So there's a specific group of people here that are speaking and saying something, and it's this group of people who are speaking and saying something that he wants their attention. As we look at the context of this passage, it's these people who are speaking about who their business plans, their venture for a whole year. Now notice notice the plans that they're laying out. We can kind of break it down for a moment. Notice in, in in this verse he says, "Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit." Now you can look at their plans and they're pretty detailed. There's a starting point to their plan. When's the starting point of their plan? Today or tomorrow? That's what they're saying, right? Notice that there's a location for this plan. We're going to go into such and such a city. So today or tomorrow, there's the starting point, there's the location, we're going to go into such and such a town. There's a time allotted for this plan, and spend a year there. So they're mapping out a year, right? There's a purpose to this plan. They say they're going to go there to trade or to buy and sell. Notice there's a profit in this plan, and that is the point of it, to make a profit. Now, when we look at these plans, just in general, is there anything wrong with such specific planning? Well, not at all. In fact, planning is a wise thing to do. It's good to plan. It's good to lay out some details and things that you're going to aim towards. Now, we remember Jesus, what he said in reference to being a disciple. He said in Luke 14, in verse 28 through 29, which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him. So he lays out that principle that we ought to plan ahead for things. We ought to calculate uh, if we've got enough to do it, right? So we, we could see all through Scripture examples of this. The virtuous woman of, of Proverbs thirty-one sixteen. She considers the field and then buys it. So she's looking at it. She's considering it. She's planning. Uh, we think of David planning ahead for the building of the temple through his son Solomon, right? So, so there's all sorts of ways in which we see planning is good. There's various examples. And so I want to I make this clear at the front that this is not a rebuke by James against planning in general. Planning is part of life. Uh, when we're young, we're planning for all sorts of things in our life, right? We're trying to plan what vehicle we might want to buy, we turn 16, uh, what home we want, we're planning out marriage and children and education, careers, and as we, we get older, we're planning out retirement, how we're going to pl- uh, live out the rest of our life, and so when you look at the plans of these businessmen, there's nothing wrong with their plans, but what's missing in their plans? Well, it's God. It's God. God's who's missing out of their plans. Notice, notice that God's not mentioned at all in verse 13. And as we look later in the chapter, we're going to see why James gets onto them so aggressively or with great rebuke. So planning without God is, is essentially to be self-sufficient instead of God dependent. There is no planning that is absolute uh, in our own in our understanding that we can just say we're going to do this and it's going to happen because ultimately it comes down to the will of the Lord. Notice with me letter B or secondly in this, this heading, uh, not only do we see that their, uh, their planning was absolute, we see also their boasting about their plans was arrogant. Their boasting was arrogant. And this is really where we see the pride and their sin with this. Notice verse 16. He's talking about their plans and what he's been said here. And he says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. You boast in your arrogance. Now, they were boasting of tomorrow and even maybe a year down the line, down the road. So, so, so they weren't just boasting about their plans. They were arrogant in their boasting. That's what James tells them. He says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. Now, what does that reveal? What sin does that reveal? That sin reveals pride, doesn't it? It reveals pride. They were boasting essentially about who they were and what they had planned. And doesn't that somewhat display the idea of control over the future? We easily can slip into that sort of thinking. What we find with this is that they, these planners, they think that they hold tomorrow, that they hold the next year in play. They cherish their gain and all that they're going to set out to do, and they're not having any regard for the Lord and what his will might be. Now, James had just previously wrote in verse 6 of this same chapter how God deals with pride, right? What's he say about the proud man? He says, God opposes who? The proud, but gives grace to the humble. So, So their pride has them focus on their earthly gain, and God's not in the picture. Now, Jesus spoke plainly about this in another passage, and I want to take you there to Luke chapter 12 for a moment. Luke chapter 12 in verse 16 through verse 21, uh, another man that kind of has this same mindset. And uh, this is the parable that he gives of the the rich fool who uh, essentially just sets his whole mind and heart on the earthly, and he has no regard for God and his plans and what he's doing with his life. And you'll notice in verse 16 through verse 21 for a moment, But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Now, Jesus says this in response to someone who is asking about an inheritance. There's a family matter, they're battling over it, and Jesus warns them about covetousness. And to illustrate this, he points out, that this rich man he's he his his mind is set on his riches he's not having consideration for god but i notice as you read this text there's the repeated phrase from this rich fool and it's this two words i will i will i will i will he he manifests his own will that he's enforcing and what he's going to do and, and, and so this really brings to the uh, attention the same thing james is presenting to those hearers who were What's their objective? Their objective is to gain a profit, right? By all means, there's nothing wrong with gaining a profit. That's how the world works. That's how we live, right? Uh, You live, you earn your income, and you got to pay your bills. You invest. You retire. That's all part of life. The sin here is their pride and arrogance and leaving out the providence of God in their thinking and planning. So this is how the Christian is not to make their plans. We see how we're not to live with this rich fool and the people that James is rebuking. When we make our plans uh, absolute and are boasting about what we're going to do and yet leave out God, we essentially become practical atheists. We make our plans without any consideration of God. Guess who else lives that way? The wicked world around us. They go on their merry way without God in their thoughts. They don't want God in their thoughts. Psalm 10:4 in the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are there is no God, or God's not in his thoughts. So, so, so the wicked around us, they live with no thinking of God. And if anyone is to think of God in all the ways they live in every day of their life, it must be the Christian. So how then should we plan? Well, we must plan with prayer, with wisdom, with an understanding that whatever it is that we may plan out, God may change that. And we have to have a spirit and heart that is yielded to whatever his will might be in that. Proverbs 19, 21, many are the, pl- the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. We've probably all experienced that sort of thing. You know, when I was in in high school and trying to figure out my career direction, that's always the, the big question. You get in high school and everybody's trying to figure out what they're going to do with their life, they are going go to college and... And so in my mind, I thought I was, I was going to be either become a, a chiropractor or a physical therapist in, in the sports world. And so I started looking into that and, and praying about that and thinking about those sorts of things. Um, but then God called me to preach, and he totally changed that plan. Now, my original plan when I was young is that I was going to be a superstar in the NBA. You see how well that worked out, right? I'm a few inches too short for that. And though I thought I was pretty good, I certainly wasn't good enough. Now, you might tell God what you want in your future. But our first prayer should be to ask God what he wants for our future. So we must be God-dependent, not self-dependent. And that's where we see James rebukes the self-sufficiency of these people. Notice with me number two tonight, all right? The second thing that he points out is the reality of life's uncertainty the reality of life's uncertainty. This is another reason we cannot arrogantly boast of our plans for the future because, firstly, every day is uncertain to us. Every day is. Now, notice in verse 14 what he says. And in, in Back in James chapter 4, he says, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. So James is connecting what they're saying with a reality about life. They're saying, we're going to do all this and map this out for a year, yet, James says, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. You don't know what tomorrow holds. Proverbs 27.1, great wisdom for us. Do not boast about what? Tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. I can't begin to tell you how many times I've planned my day, and it just did not go according to my plans. Times I've planned out my weeks, my months, even a year in advance. Doesn't work sometimes. You don't always have it go the way you'd like it to go. See, beyond just the day, the weeks, the months, all that we have of our life, we can make plans and have wisdom and pray about them, but we must understand that God may change them because he's God and he has the providence to do that. And with that truth, you and I have no ground to boast whatsoever, even for one day. I've got plans tomorrow. There's no way I'm going to sit here and boast and say, I'm going to do this, because God may change it. Somebody quoted and, and commented on this passage. He says, I don't remember who it was, Time and space belong only to God, and thus all the features necessary for human action are dependent upon Him. In this case, James's deluded addressees, thought and spoke as though the whole business enterprise required only self-assuredness for control of circumstances and the achievement of the desired ends. So plain. I think we've seen that even in our our elections this week. How many of the Republicans who lost were so confident they were going to win? In fact, they were boastfully arrogant about it. By all means, I personally wish a lot of them had won. But when you look at this whole, this whole uh, the red wave is coming and that it don't happen, it kind of looks bad when we boast it and er- we're, we're arrogant about certain things. What makes them look bad? That's the reality. This is why the boasting of these planners was sinful. And you look at verse 16. He says, all such boasting is what? He says, it's evil. Now, we think of all sorts of things as evil, Right? I mean, I, I mean we, we, lying is evil and stealing is evil, but James calls this boasting about our future is evil. That, that's something to take note of because it puts us in the place of being contr- in control rather than God is. Now, he, he's rebuking this person who lives life and makes these plans without any regard for the providence of God. Essentially, this person has no regard for divine sovereignty whatsoever. What it boils down to, like we looked at last week, is that there is only one ruler and master of this universe, and he's God, because he holds all creation in his hand. Isaiah 40 and verse 12 says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance? If God holds all of creation in the palm of his hand in this imagery, do we not think that he also holds our life in his hand in that same manner? See, man thinks he knows how to direct his life best, but in the end, it's God who guides our steps, especially those of his people. Jeremiah 10, 23, I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself, that it is not man who walks to direct his steps. Now, we may plan something for tomorrow, but God may have another plan, so we've got to be mindful of that. Here's here's another aspect about the reality of life's uncertainty. Not only is every day uncertain, Every lifespan is unknown. We don't know how long we're going to get to live. We don't know how long we get to live, right? Verse 14, notice what he says. What is your life? That's the question. And it's a probing question. What is your life? He tells them, you are a mist or a vapor that appears for a little time and then does what? Vanishes away. Now, the Bible uses many metaphors for human life, such as a shadow, fading leaves, The grass, clouds, flowers. The psalmist wrote this in Psalm 102.3, he said, My days pass away like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. Here James uses a mist or a smoky vapor. A mist appears for a little time and then just fades away. You know, you're in your kitchen and you're cooking a hot meal, and over the stove, what do you have? You have this mist that's coming up off the stove, right? That little mist, it's just there and it's gone. You get out in a cold winter day and you can see the breath come out as you breathe, that warm air, and it's there and it's gone. It doesn't hang around there forever. It just disappears. It fades off. And this is how human life is. James says you, you can't plan for a year and, and be boasting about it when your life is as a mist. You appear and you're gone. You don't know how long you get to live. And even those who are blessed to live many years, that long life in our mindset is but a speck in the timeline of eternity, if you could put a timeline on it, right? Who's the oldest man to ever live? Who knows the question, answer to that? Methuselah, how old was he? 969 years old, that is something to fathom, right? At what point do you become old when you live that long? Is it 700? Is it 800? But even Methuselah, the longest recorded man to ever live, his life was simply a vapor. Simply a vapor. And so this is sobering imagery for us as, as as believers that our life truly is a vapor. Now, the longer we live, the more that kind of becomes more of a reality for us, that we see how fast life is passing by before us. I was think, thinking about that the other night. I know I'm just... 31 going to be 32 but just watching my kids and looking at Jubilee I remember it felt like yesterday we just brought her home from the hospital now she's getting ready to turn seven years old it's like where did seven years go all of us would probably think of something of that nature we could identify with and this is why life is so precious so valuable why we cherish it so much why is it that, that, that man fears death so vehemently? It's the worst thing they could possibly think of. Because they've only got one life, right? You just get one. And once that one life is finished and used, there's no second chances. There's no going back and redoing it. No trying to do it better or uh, trying to change anything. We've only got one. And when something is low in quantity, it's usually more valuable, isn't it? So understand that life is this way. Moses wrote in Psalm 90 and verse 12 in the realm of this idea of of how short life is. He said, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom where we apply it to wisdom. And certainly we ought to do that. The very timeline or time frame of our life is unknown to us. Some die unexpectedly while others know they're close to death regardless, whether you know it's coming or you don't know it's coming, death is universal for all of us. And that's why it's important for us to be ready for that. We think of why life is so short and why death comes. It's because of sin. We know this. Isaiah 64 and verse 6 says, We've all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf. And our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Isaiah the prophet reveals that very central reality. Why is it that we fade, that we die, that we vanish? It's because our sins have taken us away. The grave has come to us because of sin. And we know that the only answer for that remedy is Jesus Christ who gives us eternal life. Eternal life. Jesus said in John 10, verse 27 through 28, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. You think about how miserable life is when you don't have any idea of what lies beyond the grave. I mean, if Christ is not risen, and we have no hope beyond the grave, what did Paul say life is? Miserable. If Christ be not risen, we're of all men most miserable. And so Jesus gives us eternal life, so, so we don't have to fret about this life coming to an end, if we know Jesus because we have eternal life in Him. And so that brings us to an application for us that if we have eternal life in Him and this life is fading, this life is fleeting, and our bodies are wasting away, then we ought to live purposefully with our life. 1 John 2.17 The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. This life's coming to a close but eternity never ends. So we've got to think if we're ready for that. Number three, and lastly, I'm coming through this quickly. I want you to see the response of thinking eternally, and this is really what it boils down to. This is how the Christian should live their life day by day, is with eternity in mind. So two things I want to point out, two applications. Plan tomorrow thinking of God's will plan tomorrow thinking of God's will. You're going to make plans, and that's good. But do it with consideration of what God's will is, that he's providential over tomorrow. He's providential over next week. We should make plans. I I think it's uh, unwise not to make plans for our future. But we ought to do it with wisdom and a surrender to the providence of God. Notice in verse 15, this is the principle James gives us. He says, instead, so contrary to the way they were talking... He says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. If the Lord wills. That's ultimately what it all boils down to. And it is so important for us to have that in our heart. Have that in our heart. Paul put it this way. He he had this kind of mindset when he wrote to the the Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians 4.19. He says, I will come to you soon. There's this little disclaimer, if the Lord wills, There's other places where he says that same thing. Warren Wiersbe said it this way, if the Lord will is not just a statement on the believer's lips, it is the constant attitude of his heart. Maybe you don't speak that way, and that's okay, but that what we're getting at here is that this should be in the heart of the Christian, that this is what our conviction is. So we need to settle it in our heart, That God's will may change our plans. And if he does change our plans, we should be okay with what his providence has changed them to. And that's probably the biggest challenge, right? We don't like our plans changed. I know I don't. But sometimes God will do that. And we need to be okay with it. God's ways, we need to remember this. In our lives, they are far greater than our own. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, the prophet says this, For my thoughts, are this is God speaking, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, I don't know about you, but that makes me feel really small. Really small. God knows better for me tomorrow than I do. He knows better for me next week than I do. He's always going to know better for me. And so when we surrender and rest in God's providence, then we can approach our days with peace and satisfaction of knowing we're doing what we can with the day that God has given us. So second application here, and I'll be done. Not only should we plan tomorrow thinking of God's will, we need to practice today living out God's word. This is what it boils down to, living out what we know to live out in the moment. If you look at verse 17, notice what James closes with. He says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Now, there is more than one way that we can sin. We can sin. The most common way we think of sin is by what? Doing bad things. So those are sins of commission. But then there's also sins of omission not doing what we know we ought to do. So there's a sin of not doing what we know not to do and the sin of doing what we know we ought not to do. And so this is where we need to evaluate our own life. Am I doing what I know I'm supposed to do in the day? Now, it seems like this sin of omission is a frequent, frequent one, especially in children. It's easy to get under our kids for don't do that, right? Don't do this because they are bad things they do but I'm noticing that one of their greatest sins is not doing what mom and dad told them to do. You tell them to clean your room, they're just in their playing, they're not doing it, right? So there's an act of disobedience, a sin of omission. Uh, we tell them to uh, take their plate to the kitchen or whatever it is, there's a sin of omission. They don't want to do it. So, so this, is, this is where we see the reality of doing the right thing when we know to do it. If we know we ought to do the right thing, putting it off, what does James say? He says it becomes sin to him, sin to him. Jesus had a good example, I think, in this. John 9, 4, here's what he says. We must work the works of him who sent me, or I must work the works of him who sent me, while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. See, ultimately, we only have today. and We're not promised to the end of the day. And so therefore, with whatever moment we're living in and we know we ought to obey God, we ought to obey God with whatever that is. Our daily priority is to obey the will of God. And the way you know to obey the will of God is through His Word. James previously wrote in verse 22 of chapter 1, this is the principle for Christian living, be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves, right? Now how many, how, how many hearers are there of the Word contrasted to doers of the word. Because once you hear, you're accountable to do. Once you hear, you're accountable to do. Since our life is so short in this way, and we're challenged on a day-to-day basis to live in this way, we need to apply our time and energy into living for Christ in every way we can. Ephesians 5 and verse 17, I want to read one final passage to you. Ephesians 5, verse 15 through 17, actually. We'll get to this eventually, probably in a few weeks as we're coming through Ephesians. We'll look at it more in depth. But notice that that Paul writes to them in this application section. He says, look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. There's a great principle there. What's he want them to do? He wants them to walk with wisdom and to make the best use of their time because the days are evil. And so time, it's the most precious gift that we have, and I think every day we have to use it for what truly matters, and that is the Lord and his will. So don't don't get so caught up in worrying about tomorrow when tomorrow may not come. We need to just focus on one day at a time. Jesus taught us to pray. Give us this day our what? Weekly bread? Our daily bread. And if tomorrow does come, guess what? God's already there. He's already there. So let's give ourselves to God today. Today, one day at a time. Because we know who controls tomorrow. It's not us. It's God. God controls tomorrow. And this gives us encouragement in how we plan our futures, that we're aware of his providence and we're obedient to him in a day-to-day basis. So I encourage you with these thoughts and this text. to pray that it would encourage you in these matters as well. Uh, They've been a a challenge and reminder to me, and I pray that would be that same thing for you too.